Hello, everyone. Welcome to Physician Assistant Study Session. I'm your host, McKenna Morgan, and this week we'll be talking disorders of the foot and ankle, compartment syndrome, and neoplastic disease. All right, everybody, welcome to episode four. Thank you for continuing to tune in. I apologize that this is a little bit late. I had recorded it on time, and as I was editing it, editing it I realized how tired and boring I sounded. So here I am recording it again in the morning while I'm bright and cheery. So um, anyway, without further ado, let's get in with our questions. What is the number one benign bone tumor? It's an osteochondroma. What class of medication increases the risk for an Achilles tendon rupture? These are fluoroquinolones. What is the primary complaint with compartment syndrome? This is pain. All right. As I had mentioned, we're talking foot and ankle, compartment syndrome, and neoplastic disease today. Um, on the blueprint, foot and ankle is just, again, our soft tissue, sprain strains, as well as dislocations. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and start with dislocations. These primarily happen posteriorly, and then I mean this in that the calcaneus goes posteriorly. And here there's risk to the peroneal nerve, and the peroneal nerve is responsible for innervating the ankle dorsiflexors. So as a symptom of this injury is that you may have foot drop because they can't dorsiflex, can't lift their toes up to the sky. Treatment for this, it's a dislocation, so they get a reduction. And then a posterior splint. I do think a posterior splint is important to know, but if you think about it, that's the area you want to stabilize is the back of the ankle. All right, moving on to ankle sprains. Probably one of the biggest foot and ankle complaints I saw in rotation. These most often happen as an inversion injury. And as a result, the number one ligament injured here is the anterior talofibular ligament, the ATFL. It's a lot of words, but really with the ankle, there are a ton of ligaments, but I think there's only two that are critical for boards, and they are the ATFL and the deltoid ligament. So in thinking about the ATFL, just think about your anatomy. It's on the anterior side, and it connects the talus to the fibula. The fibula is the lateral side. And remember, the fibula is lateral because it has an L. Um, so hopefully remember ATFL number one injured ligament in an ankle sprain. However, if it happens to be an eversion injury, it is the deltoid ligament. Physical exam tests for these are anterior drawer tests. And this is just like the anterior drawer in the knee, except for you're doing it in the ankle. Again, a positive here is lack of a firm endpoint. These can be diagnosed clinically. However, the question becomes, do I need an x-ray? And I'm going to list this criteria pretty quickly and then just talk about how to decipher it. So x-ray criteria for an ankle sprain is tenderness to palpation among the medial or lateral malleolus, midfoot tenderness, or fifth metatarsal tenderness. And then finally, if they're unable to weight bear four steps following an injury or are still unable to weight bear in your office. It seems like a lot, but in reality, 
we're just trying to think, are we concerned about a fracture here? Are we worried about a medial or lateral malleolar fracture? That's why we're looking for tenderness there. Midfoot tenderness could be with a navicular fracture or a Liz Frank injury, which we'll talk later. And then fifth metatarsal tenderness, again, looking for a fracture, in this case, a Jones or an avulsion fracture. So that's really more the question. Are you concerned about getting a fracture? Then you get an x-ray. Grading for ankle sprains is just like everything else. Grade one is a stretch, two is a partial, three is a complete. Treatment, conservative treatment, PT, rest ice, etc. Moving on to Achilles tendon ruptures. I think these are pretty self-explanatory in terms of boards. I think the biggest things you need to know are the major risk factors, and they are fluoroquinolone use and a recent increase in physical activity. Remembering that fluoroquinolones are an antibiotic. They're used for various things. They're the ones that end in a floxacin. Physical exam test for this is called the Thompson test. Patient is lying prone and they will have weak or absent plantar flexion when the gas shock is squeezed. And remember that plantar flexion is stepping on the gas, whereas dorsiflexion is lifting your toes up to the sky. So logically, if the Achilles is not attached, it is unable to pull the calcaneus into plantar flexion. How I remember Thompson, and I'm, this is gonna be crazy and I'm sorry, and hopefully this doesn't get me in trouble, but uh, I had a professor that she was very rigid with the rules, and she wouldn't bend with the rules. She was very, this is how it is. This is how it's going to be. She would not move, so that's what I think of is that the foot does not move. It puts that foot down and does not move. That's how I remember the Thompson test. I know it's crazy because you guys have no idea who this professor is, uh, anyway, that's how I remember that. Treatment for these progressive equinus splinting, and basically what they do is they put the patient in plantar flexion and then slowly increase the dorsiflexion over time as the Achilles heel, as the Achilles tendon heals, um, or these can be repaired surgically depending on the activity. So moving on to ankle fractures, I think it's actually better to just talk about fracturing the fibula first, because these are generally what we mean by ankle fractures. These are classified using what's called the Weber classification. Sometimes you may hear it is called the Weber classification. And basically it's in relation to the syndesmosis. And you'll hear the syndesmosis be referred to in ankles a lot, because it's really important in determining ankle stability. And what it is, is it's the articulation between the distal fibula and tibia. And if there's any widening or movening of this, then it's automatically deemed unstable. So knowing just the definition of a syndesmosis in mind, we will talk about A, which is below the syndesmosis, meaning distal to the syndesmosis. B is even with the syndesmosis. I think B is even Steven. And C is above the syndesmosis. And I think of this in terms of just ranking because A are easy peasy, not as worrisome, whereas C, it's, that's not so great. So um, again, C are above the syndesmosis. So they're in the proximal fibula. They're often associated with a medial malleolar fracture and a deltoid avulsion. 
and they're almost always unstable. Especially if it's a spiral fracture, we get really concerned and we need to check out that syndesmosis. If the spiral fracture is in the proximal fibula, it's called a Masonove fracture. And I remember this because it reminds me of a spiral fracture in the arm called the Montegia fracture that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Now here, you can also have a transverse proximal fibula fracture. And we're just not as worried about those because those are generally direct trauma versus a twisting injury. So just kind of keep that in mind clinically. Take away from fibula fractures is look for syndesmosis injuries. You can do this with different x-ray views, but that's basically your take-home point for ankle fractures. Moving more into the foot, still talking about fractures, though we have what's called a March fracture. And I like this one for some reason. I've never seen one. It's just in this book, but I thought it was worth mentioning because it's a military stress fracture and the third metatarsal is the most common. How do I remember this? Military marches. So I remember those two. And then March is the third month. Those just all go together and click in my head really well, and I hope they do for you as well. Next up regarding the foot is plantar fasciitis, and I think we all are very familiar with conservative treatments, how they present their pain. I think the buzzword you want to know is that it's pain with the first step in the morning. That's critical. I really think that's all you need to know about plantar fasciitis and it's treated conservatively. Next up is tarsal tunnel. I just felt it was worth mentioning since we also have contrasting uh, cubital and carpal tunnel in the upper extremity. And here what's involved is the tibial nerve and the tibial nerve runs just posterior to the medial malleolus. It's part of your Tom, Dick, and Nervous Harry area on the uh, medial malleoli. And their symptoms here, they'll have numbness on the heel, sole, and medial malleolus. It's right where that nerve runs. Pretty easy peasy. Conservative treatment for these guys too. All right. Some other pretty quick, easy foot disorders. A bunion, also called a hallux valgus deformity. Risk factors for these, poorly fitted shoes are the number one risk factor. Take care of your feet, guys. <laughs> Another risk factor is flat feet, which is also called pes planus. Planus meaning flat, pes means foot. And to define this medically, it's a first metatarsal lateral deviation. But I think if you just picture what a bunion looks like, that makes a lot of sense. And treatment for these we're going to eliminate their risk factor and give them a wide toe box on the shoes. Um, these can also be treated surgically, but we want to try just different shoes for the first little bit. Uh, another common toe complaint is the hammer toe. And what this is, this is flexion of the PIP and hyperextension of the MTP and the DIP. So your middle joint is hyperflexed and the joints above and below are hyperextended. And these usually just cause pain due to shoe contact. So again, we can fix these surgically, but a lot of times just give them some different shoes. It'll work great. All right. Now that we kind of just breezed through several small topics, let's take some time and talk a little bit more about Charcot foot. This is an autonomic dysfunction disorder. And basically microtrauma leads to bone resorption 
and weakness. It doesn't repair itself like it needs to be. In the end, this leads to joint damage and destruction. This is related to diabetic neuropathy. So consider that a risk factor. Symptoms for this, they'll get redness of their foot that increases with elevation. That's usually the first symptom that you will see. As the disease progresses, they'll get a midfoot deformity in that the foot becomes concave, kind of like those crazy uh, sketcher shoes that are like walking on curves. It's wild. This is an inflammatory disorder, so they're going to have an increased sun rate, increased white count, and an increased CRP. Treatment for these, earlier the better. Non-weight-bearing. Splint them and refer. Ultimately, they'll end up getting a total contact cast and etc. But again, just refer them out. I think the takeaways from these is that it's associated with diabetic neuropathy. They'll get redness that decreases with elevation and a midfoot deformity. That's Charcot foot. Okay, kind of jumping back a little bit to fractures. We're going to talk about a Jones fracture, the dreaded Jones fracture. And this is defined as a transverse fracture through the diaphysis of the fifth metatarsal. So basically, it's a fracture that is distal to the articulation between the fourth and fifth metatarsal. And we're worried about these because there's a risk of avascular necrosis. Treatment, just like any fracture, boot cast versus surgery. This is in contrast with a pseudo-Jones or avulsion fracture, which occur below the articulation. And these we are a lot less worried about avascular necrosis. They're still important to treat, but just a little less concerning. Next up are Liz Frank injuries. And this is the disruption of the articulation between the second metatarsal and the medial cuneiform. And I think the, the big one you need is they step off a hole or they're wearing heels or something like that. But stepping off a hole is generally how this happens. Symptoms, you'll have plantar ecchymosis. So bruising at the bottom of the foot, which makes sense. That's near the area of the injury. As with pretty much every x-ray, you want to get weight-bearing x-rays. I just really want to drive that home with Liz Frank injuries because this is not a fracture. It's a... Um, joint disruption. So it's really important to get weight-bearing x-rays to make sure that you're seeing that articulation as it is in a functional way. However, they can have an associated fracture, and this is called a fleck sign, and it's a fracture at the base of the second metatarsal, and it's pathognomonic for Liz Frank injury. Treatment, non-weight-bearing. So get them weight-bearing for their x-rays, and then make them non-weight-bearing. And then they get a boot cast, possibly surgery. So just kind of to recap that, a Liz Frank injury is between the second metatarsal and the medial cuneiform, caused from stepping off a hole, and a fracture is called a fleck sign, and they are non-weight-bearing after x-rays. Okay, moving quickly through our last foot and ankle topic is calcaneal fractures. And again, it's just like a typical fracture. I just would know that they're associated with a fall from a height simple. Okay, I had talked about this actually in the last episode, but just the length of time made me not talk about it. And this is compartment syndrome. And these most commonly after long bone fractures. So um, the anterior compartment with tibia fractures is really what we think about these as, but they can also happen in the upper extremity as well. You may see them also with crush injuries 
or putting on a cast too tightly. Again, this is why we splint first, then cast later to let that inflammation get down. And then we really need to be careful when we cast to not be putting any tension on there. The symptom here is pain out of proportion. We have here what's called the six P's of compartment syndrome. I will list them here. Number one is pain. Two is pulselessness. Three is poikilothermia, which just means it's uh, cold. Four is pallor, five is paresthesia, and six is paralysis. And I always seem to manage to like forget one of the P's, but when you think about it, just imagine everything is cut off to it. So that's gonna hurt. They're not gonna have blood flow, which means their temperature regulation is all off. They also, remember, don't have blood flow, so they're not gonna have nice color. They're not gonna have great sensation and they're not gonna be able to move it. Six P's, not too crazy. I think the joke among people will say that it's the six P's are pain, 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 and pain, and one more pain. And I think that is important for you to know because the first symptom is pain and the biggest kind of indicator is it's pain out of proportion to their injury. They get worse afterwards. Um, the first symptom is pain on passive stretching. So it really is important for you to know that it's a lot of pain versus all the other five Ps. Treatment for these, if they have a cast, remove it and they are gonna get a fasciotomy to help relieve the pressure. Okay, since we have some time here, I'm gonna also talk about neoplastic disease. So first, we're gonna talk about primary bone malignancies. So these are the actual bone cancers. There are a lot of bone tumors, bone cysts, bone malignancies. And so there kind of comes a point where how much do you want to know for boards? Because really, how many questions could they ask about it? So I'm really trying to distill this down for you guys into kind of the, the big main ones that have easy things to remember and distinguish. So with any bone malignancy, it's going to have the name sarcoma. They're going to usually present with bone pain. And if a patient is presenting with bone pain at night, that's a red flag that needs investigating. The number one primary bone malignancy is an osteosarcoma. It's most commonly with adolescents, but it's also bimodal with 15 to 60 year olds. And these are generally in the metaphysis of the femur, tibia, and humerus. And you may see them described as a sunburst appearance. Another Primary bone malignancy is Ewing sarcoma, and this is males 5 to 25 years old. Femur and pelvis are usually the number one locations, and this is described as an onion skin. So in talking about osteosarcoma versus Ewing sarcoma, they really share a lot of things. You know, you have younger patients with both, um, you know, the femur pelvis are involved and they have kind of an abnormal appearance and I think in terms of boards that's really what's important for you to know so with any tumor anywhere in the body we get worried when it's very speculated and uneven um, so I just think take away those points versus fixating on the small little details with these a final bone malignancy I think is worth mentioning is a chondrosarcoma and chondro means cartilage. 
And this appears similar to some other benign tumors, so just kind of watch out for that. But I think it's just kind of worth mentioning that this one is a cartilage cancer. All right, switching gears a little bit, talking about benign tumors in cysts. There's a lot of different kinds. They're usually found incidentally or because they've caused a pathologic fracture. It's a tumor, which makes patients afraid of it, but it's only pathologic because it has weakened the bone. It's not going to be cancerous and spread and cause disastrous disease. The number one benign bone tumor is an osteochondroma, and it's males 10 to 20. And the word that is important is it is pedunculated, and it grows away from the growth plate. So thinking about that, the age group is around people that have growth plates for starters, and then it's pedunculated. It almost looks like a little mushroom growing off the bone. Completely benign. Another benign tumor I think is not necessarily common, but it has a nice kind of symptom associated with it. So boards seem to love that stuff. It's an osteoid osteoma, and they have night pain that is relieved with NSAIDs. Big cue for you. It's a good thing. Okay, our final topic, we're going to talk about bone metastasis. Um, and I think for this, you're just going to need to know the mnemonic lead kettle or peanut butter kettle is how I always thought of it. But the lead kettle mnemonic is a mnemonic designed to rank the most common cancers that metastasize to the bone. So number one is prostate, number two is breast, three is kidney, four is thyroid, five is lung. Lead kettle, peanut butter kettle. Okay, guys, that's it for this week's material. So we'll go ahead and just uh, finish off with some review questions. What is the number one injured ligament in the ankle? This is the ATFL, also called the anterior talofibular ligament. What physical exam test is used to assess an Achilles tendon rupture? And this is a Thompson test. Remember, she wouldn't move her foot. Define a Jones fracture. This is a transverse fracture through the diaphysis of the fifth metatarsal. All right, take home points today. Number one, plantar fasciitis equals pain with the first step. Number two, the ATFL is the number one ankle ligament injury. Number three, the Jones fracture is through the diaphysis of the fifth metatarsal, meaning it is distal to the articulation. Number four, compartment syndrome is associated with pain out of proportion. And number five, bone pain at night is concern for malignancy. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in again. Um, I do have an announcement for you guys. I have launched our website. Um, it is pastudysesh.blueberry, and that's without E, so it's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y dot net. Again, that's pastudysesh.blueberry dot net, blueberry spelled with no E's. Go over there, check it out. You can subscribe to us there. Please share us with your friends. Um, you'll also find copies of the blueprint with links to my episodes and, um, Everything you need is on that website. Again, pastudysesh.blueberry.net. I appreciate you continue spreading the word about PA Study Sesh. Go follow us on Facebook as well. We're at PA Study Sesh there. 
And again, I'm still looking for any feedback, um, suggestions for our next chapter, and just comments, concerns, just say hello. My email is pastudysesh at gmail.com. So again, thank you guys for tuning in. And next week, we should be actually getting through disorders of the spine. So um, hope you guys tune in for that, for demystifying some dermatomes. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you.